All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of Learning the Tropes. Today, I am joined by... <laughs> I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. Wow, you couldn't let me introduce you. Oh, you? <laughs> I, you looked at me. I thought it was my turn. <laughs> don't look at me if you don't want me to talk. This isn't your podcast. This it's is true. my podcast. It's true. I should say something else anyway and not that thing because that's what I say on my podcast. No, it's good. Your podcast is Faded Mates. Yes, and you are an author, specifically of the Hell's Bell series, and specifically of Knockout, which is out now. <gasps> Yesterday. Yesterday. This week. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's exciting. It's How does world. it feel to have it be in the world now? Uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this book. It's weird and exciting, and I've been waiting to write these characters for a long time. Which is how it always feels when you get deep into a series. You're like, I know who's next and I'm ready to tell their story. But it's always like, oh, I don't know. Will people like it? Will people read it? Do people want it? Are people yeah, right mean, now going, oh, this lady listening to you going, nope. really? McLean? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody is going this lady. Nobody is going shaking their head saying McLean. Everybody is thrilled for this book especially it's Tommy and Imogen who I mean I think I can speak for the world on such <laughs> I'm new topics on behalf of the world but on behalf of everybody <laughs> tout le monde I want to say um, these two characters were so electric from Bombshell mm -hmm. what like did, it was a surprise for me, too. Was it? Like, how <laughs> early were you like, oh, these two? Okay, so uh, Imogen, Duchess, and Adelaide, and Cecily, I think all four of them are in one of the final, the final episodes, no, not episodes, one of the final scenes of Daring and the Duke, which is the final book of the last series I wrote, the Bare Knuckle Bastard series. And don't check me on this because I did change some names <laughs> from that scene. <laughs> but they are there. The bells are there. They're uh -huh. just, some of them are named different things. Um, and Tommy is also referenced in that book as like one of the only decent Scotland Yardsmen, right? Like all cops are bad. And Tommy, if you have to have a cop is fine. Um, and so I knew that he would ultimately become a important character and a relevant character to this series, but I never intended, one, to write him as a hero. And then when I wrote that first scene in the place in Bombshell, where he, like, comes in with the hero of Bombshell, and he's basically, like, calling in a debt with the hero of Bombshell, um, and he walks into this like kind of sacred space for the Bells and for you know their friends in London, a place that men are largely not welcome in, and police officers are definitely not welcome in. Um, Imogen like guns for him, and I was like, that's actually really surprising because I had intended for him to potentially be like a hero if he was ever going to be a hero, he would be the final hero of the series because it made sense to me. Like, oh, Duchess is the mastermind of the whole crew and Tommy's like a cop. Um, but Imogen was like, no, mine. Like, she basically called dibs. Yeah. 
And then that was it. And so I was like, oh, all right. And that made sense because she's the most chaotic of all of them. Like, she's the one who commits crime all the time. She can't help it. It's just her vibe. (laughs) I love her so much. (laughs) So it makes sense that, like, the one who's committing, like, crime all the time is the one who flummoxes and then just, like, brings down the police officer. (laughs) The stiff officer. (laughs) Yeah, the Scotland Yardsman. The detective inspector. Yes, and it's such a, I mean... Obviously, this is learning the tropes. I love tropes, talking about tropes. And there is something so magic about, like, the chaos meets straight-laced Yeah, pairing. control versus chaos. That is just the most fun to read. It's really very fun to read. It's one of my favorite. It's grumpy sunshine, but, like, yeah. on, a, on steroids, right? Um, and so it is one of my very favorite tropes to read, too. And a challenge when you... Uh, lean heavily into it as a as chaos, right? Because Imogen was in two prior books uh, to this, and she was like a dog in both of them. Meaning, like she was so chaotic and funny. She was there for comic relief. She, if I needed somebody to do something a little bit wacky, like it made sense. Of course, it was going to be Imogen who did it, mm-hmm. right? Like. There are lots of scenes where something blows up and it's just like Imogen going like, hi, (laughs) I'm here. Um, And so turning her around and making that chaos both, uh, obviously it's always been lovable to a certain group of us, mainly my readers, but um, making it lovable, believing that she's she's heroin material um, was probably the biggest challenge of the book but really a great reward at the end oh yeah that's so funny but I you had always pictured her as a heroine oh yeah I mean I always knew she would be but Mm -hmm. it's you know I spent a lot of time going like I'm writing myself into a hole here Mm -hmm. and at some point I'm gonna have to dig myself out of it and uh I don't know how that's gonna work but that's a problem for future Sarah and you know what? Future Sarah really always gives you a solid because she gets you out of. <laughs> I mean, so I don't much. know. Future Sarah does a lot of cursing past Sarah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Talk about enemies to lovers. Fe- past <laughs> and future Sarah. <laughs> they would not get along at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned them being kind of a surprise. So, when you do start a series, sort of how far down the line do you know about couples or characters or who's going to show up? So that's a good question. I uh, I always know who the main group is. So I might not know who the uh, love interests are for everyone, but most of my series are linked through a, a the there's a thread between at least one, either the heroes or the heroines or both, right? Um, and so I don't always know who the love interests are, but I always know who like the core group is, the friend mm-hmm. group or the siblings or whoever they are. Um, in this case, uh, I but then also I'm writing a series or if I'm writing a series, I usually know what I'm aiming for. Like, And what I mean by that is it's four books and the end of the fourth book is this thing, whatever it is. Usually a big like explosive set piece ending. Right. Um, And when I do it that way, like I think about my series as like big thematic series. Like I know the story I'm telling over the course of the whole series so that Mm -hmm. they hang together 
sometimes in timeline or sometimes with the characters, but they also thematically work as like one entity if you read them back to back to back. So like, you know, there was this whole, when I wrote Bare Knuckle Bastards, there was this whole like play with light and darkness and like good and evil and identity and what it means to be bad or wicked versus, you know, good. And um, so if you read the whole series, like beginning to end, you know, you start to see some of that stuff. For example, like in Wicked in the Wallflower, there's only one scene that's in daytime. Mm. And then in Daring in the Duke, like most of this book is in the day. Like there's a, you know, I don't know. So I play these games with myself. Uh, yeah. And so the answer is I knew Imogen would be a heroine. And then like, like I said, pretty soon into Bombshell, I was like, oh, there he is. It has to be. But then I had to let them cook for a book because Adelaide was next. That was the other thing. So what makes you decide also like the order of the mm. the books? Because immediately we all were Everybody wanted Imogen salivating and Tommy. For- yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> No hate to Adelaide and Claiborne, who I do love. No. And the opening scene of their book is so insane and gorgeous and cinematic and so much fun. Um, thank you. Adelaide was destined to be next because I wanted to... So Hell's Bells is told... Um, it's the story of four women who are part of a girl gang, essentially, that is fucking things up all over London um, in the early Victorian period. So Queen Victoria has just ascended to the throne. Um, This is historically real. The men and and particularly men in power in England were livid at the idea that women might get ideas that uh, women who were not Queen Victoria might think like, well, hang on a second. If we can be queen, we can be anything. Right. We can take power in all spaces. Um, and so I got really interested in that. So I started to write this series and I wanted uh, it's loosely based on a historical girl game called The 40 Elephants. And so I started getting really interested in like organized crime and what would what would be happening all around the world. Right. Like these all around England and London specifically. So these four characters obviously have a lot of access into into money and power and society, but they also have to be able to like run in the trenches, right? So um, I decided that I was going to write this this kind of secondary gang. The first book has a ha, the enemies. There are lots of enemies, but there's this sort of other gang, and they are the enemy also. And um, instantly I was like, well, they have to be, we have to be connected to them in some way. And then I have to, I knew ultimately I wanted to take on police corruption, right? Mm-hmm. And policing in general, which is what is sort of the theme, the theme of Knockout. And then ultimately, like, even more power in Duchess's book, which is coming. So I had to clear the deck a little from, and I, and I had to get these, the kind of organized crime syndicates out of the picture in some way or potentially instead of moving them out of the picture moving them into the world of the bells like now they're 
now the bells can use them for good, mm-hmm. even though they don't necessarily want to be used for good, right? Yeah. So, um, but also I knew I wanted to take on policing in this book, and in order to do that, I wanted to talk about police corruption, and I wanted um, men in power, particularly like men in parliament, to not have access to organized crime, like to a like a gang, a street gang. I wanted them to be using the police as thugs, as mm-hmm. like strong arms. Um, so that's why Adelaide came next, because she was born like a crime princess. She was born the daughter of one of the heads of this uh, gang. Yeah, and had to get them out of the way. And I had to figure out a way to like, yeah, use them so that ultimately now they're on the table their position has moved right like it's a game of risk when mm-hmm. you put together a, a series like this and now they're positioned to potentially help me rather than be in my way yeah and it clears off kind of yeah just what the corruption is for the police how much <clears throat> i know that you did research kind of into the 40 elephants mm-hmm. how much research did you do into kind of policing in the Victorian era? A ton. Yeah. Because policing was basically, detective work was basically invented in the Victorian era. Oh, really? Um, Scotland Yard was invented in the, was formed in the early 19th century, in the early 1800s. Um, And what's really fascinating is prior to Scotland Yard, there was no such thing as detective work, right? Um, Because... Policing was designed to stop crime before it happened, uh, meaning like men with billy clubs on the street, like treating people badly, mm-hmm. right? And then there was a sense of, well, what if we could solve crimes after they happened? Um, and so they invented, basically, Scotland Yard formed the detective branch of Scotland Yard, which was um, designed to do just that and, like, investigate crimes that had already happened. Mm-hmm. And um, that came with its own problem, obviously. I mean, I say this in the author's note of my book, but, like, police corruption has existed as long as policing has has existed. Um, when you give a block of people power at that level and weaponry and tell them, you know, and and fund them in such a way that they are beholden to rich, you know, wealthy white people, mm-hmm. there is going to be corruption and there is going to be um, racism and classism and lots of other bad things, right, in any organized organization. Um, but Scotland Yard is responsible for it coming to modern policing. And so I did a lot of research on it because I wanted to get it right. And uh, I wanted it to feel, I've used example. I mean, I I drew from things that actually did happen um, in Scotland Yard at the time. And I think sometimes in historical romance, especially we like wave away Scotland Yard. We're like, well, it's different, right? They're historical detectives. And like, yeah, sure, that's true. Like all of historical fiction, historical romance is like Vaseline on the lens. <laughs> but you can't write a book about a cop in 2023 and not write a book about a cop, right? Right. Yeah. So that was a struggle too, making sure, like, wanting to be respectful of, uh, of all the current movements to rethink policing. Mm-hmm. 
um, and think about policing less about think about policing as like community empowerment and community action rather than suppressing community and oppressing community. Yeah. And I think community is so linked to, I think, romance in particular. Yeah. And within your books, within, I mean, all of your books, but within Hell's Bells, they have the place, which is a place. (laughs) Right. It's the peach pit. Yeah. You know, where people, where uh, primarily women, but like any member of a marginalized community can kind of. Is welcome. Come. Yeah. Yeah. And so was there historical precedent for something like that or or what made you decide that that a, having like a a club like that was so important to the novel um well i started with the the place was born in the middle of the pandemic right uh when all i wanted to do was hang out with my friends yeah. my girlfriends <laughs> uh so there was that but also i have always written about private spaces for women right my first series ha- all my series have private space for women built into them um and so the place was just sort of a natural extension of that um giving it to you know Maggie O'Tiernan who's a trans black woman and giving power to women women of color and uh queer women was important to me because I um am not a woman of color I'm not a, I, I don't have a queer identity um it's important to me as like a cis hat white lady in the world to people the world of my novels the way the world looks and looked, right? I mean, it looked like this. There were queer people. They had underground places uh, just like they have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were spaces for women just like there are now. Um, but I don't feel comfortable writing. It is not my place to write a historical novel or a historical romance with a point of view character who is a woman of color or a trans woman or um, a queer person. And that is because uh, there are not enough of us writing those things right now. And so I feel like my job is to people the world of my book that way and lift up voices of Mm -hmm. other authors who are doing this kind of work from an own voice perspective, from their own lived experience. So people like Adriana Herrera and Diana Quincy and, um, um, Alexis Hall and others. Right. Kennedy Ryan, Naima Simone. I mean, there's so right. many. Right. But yeah. in historicals, oh, historicals, there are so few. That is right. Right. Um, and so Beverly Jenkins, but she writes in America. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are these really, it's so thin on the ground. Like, 19th century European historical romance written by women of color and queer people. Um, about women of color and queer people. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember what the question was, but the question, but the answer is, um, yeah, I want to lift those authors up in real life and help people find them. But it is 1,000% not my story to tell right now. Maybe someday when there are many, 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 many other authors writing those books, right? I will think about a POV character from there, but... But what's cool about it is I get to build these these bright worlds, right? Right. And that's that's what I love about the place. Um and yeah, like you said, you you do always populate your books with, with these places. But I think particularly the place in the way that 
we start to see the heroes from the previous books mm-hmm. be allowed into the place. Yeah, they've like done their time, right? They've like proven their worth. Listen, uh, the world is really bad to women. No. I don't know if you've noticed that, Aaron. Ah, jeez. <laughs> and, uh, and the truth is, is like, as I've written this series, like, uh, gender and uh, sexuality and body autonomy and um, queer and trans rights. I mean, all these things are on the table in the United States in a combative, terrifying way um, that they have not been or they had not been until the last couple of years. And so as you're writing this, these stories about a time when those fights were happening, right? Right. And these people were running scared and were finding community out of the view of power. Um, it feels like I am I would be remiss not to be writing space, safe spaces for people, women and people of color and queer and trans people throughout time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that goes back to what I was saying before about like thematically it doesn't really matter. I, I honestly don't know if I, if this, I don't, I assume this series would look differently if it hadn't been written at the time that it has been written, but it is what it is. And so there are things on the, on the, um, on the table. Like, should we talk about Aaron Leaf? What? Should we talk about? Oh my God. Yes, guys. <laughs> oh, Dwyer and Leaf. I didn't know if that was a secret. Is my it? name is in the book, guys. I give permission. And let me tell you, the squeal I squalled. It was <laughs> thrilling because I got a little text message that just said, would you mind if we name, can I, can I say yeah, what sure, it is? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay. You guys are still going to read the book. That it's an abortion clinic? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't I know mean, what we can say. It's pretty early in the book. So. Okay. So it's it's the front, it, the front is that it's a seamstress. Uh, I mean, it's the first shop. It's the first chapter, Aaron. Guys, I, I don't. I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> I don't want you to not come back. All right, so the, stop naming stop naming characters after me. I'm looking for Aaron to become a. Uh... So the plot of the book, the sort of overarching story oh, yeah. of the book, what is, is the that there, plot of the book? There is there have been a rash of explosions mm. across uh, London, across the East End of London, which at the time was very poor, um, and. Uh, it becomes pretty clear, and it is the Hell's Bells are investigating these explosions, and because they have connections into all of these kind of places uh, that are better and stronger, and they are trusted in a way that the Scotland Yard and the police are not, mm-hmm. um, they always arrive at these explosions just like a hair before Detective Inspector Tommy Peck arrives, and he is... So also mad. looking out for yeah. these. He has figured out that these explosions are tackling a very particular community of people. And he is trying to figure out who the culprits are. The Bells have already figured out who the culprits are. At least they're pretty sure. Right. Imogen is pretty sure that the police are involved. And so she is keeping secrets from Tommy because he cannot be trusted. His uh, sense of justice cannot be trusted. Uh, so the places that are being blown up are places like abortion clinics Mm -hmm. or women's health clinics that perform you know needed abortions right um the like place print shops where unions like people workers are unionizing um places like that uh halfway houses for women who are escaping dangerous 
um, men in their lives or dangerous, you know, abusive employers. So uh, there is a connection between all of these places and there is a connection between all the explosives that are being used. And so it is a kind of mystery that's not entirely a mystery in the book. Um, it's a mystery to Tommy, but it's not a mystery to Imogen. And it's very quickly not a mystery to readers, I think what's mm-hmm. going on. But I needed an abortionist. <laughs> <laughs> I should say I needed a seamstress. Yeah. And so I asked if I could use your your yeah. name. You asked if you could use my name for the you were like, I think she might be an abortionist. And I was like, cool. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. And then And a lesbian. She's and a lesbian. she's she and her partner are partners. Okay. Is that in the book? Yeah, it's sort of like alluded to, but you'll see more of them in the next book. Can't wait. Um, Francis O'Dwyer uh, and Aaron Leaf. So who's Francis O'Dwyer? Kristen Dwyer, oh. uh, my publicist. So her middle name is Francis because uh, Kristen is a, felt like too modern a name. Okay, so I'm not Aaron. I'd, the best is I have been yelling at you and any other romance author I come across to be like, why are there no heroines named Aaron? And you said because Ireland's too sad. At that time, <laughs> I mean, uh, listen, it was. I don't, I'm sorry to the Irish people out there, but <laughs> Ireland in the early 1800s is not a great place. You can't guarantee a ha- you cannot guarantee a happily ever after in Ireland in the early 1800s because right. they are about to have a famine, right? And also, some other bad stuff is about to happen over there. Oh, yeah, things are about to be rough for like you know 60, 70 years, <laughs> maybe more. <laughs> so, you just can't promise it. Right, unless they're nobility, and nobody wants to see nobility in Ireland succeeding. Uh, no. no. I want to see Killian Murphy playing Tommy Shelby, but Irish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, the like, shakes the barley. Have, have I... Blowing up some nobility over yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> um, Someone write that book for me. Yeah, so you... Okay, so you use my name. You were like, I need, like, a... Like, a stunningly attractive, very interesting, intelligent <laughs> Yes, I do. I was like, and I would like to use Aaron Leaf. Yeah. I feel like we've really bummed everyone out, though. We've talked about all the politics in my books and not the fact that there's basically no politics in my books. <laughs> That's all the background, guys. Mostly it's just Imogen frustrating Tommy and then yeah, them it's, making out. Uh, exasperated man, trademark. Yes. <laughs> TM. I mean, Tommy is so exasperated mm-hmm. by Imogen, who is unflappable. Yeah. In all of the all the tips and tricks and and like grumpy, growly, stern looks that he gives, you know, she criminals did. around London, and they cow and immediately confess. Imogen's like, "You're adorable." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, so he gets she gets herself into trouble because obviously she does, mm-hmm. and then Tommy basically gets asked by her family if he will bodyguard her. And he's like, I guess. But let's be honest. (laughs) He was going to anyway. There's no bodyguarding Imogen. There's just following her around and hoping that she doesn't kill you both. I know. How thrilled was she when she found out Tommy was following her? Because she's like, this saves me time. I'm trying to track him down. (laughs) Exactly. He's always right there. Well, because also I know how much you love Jessica Trent from Lord of Scoundrels. Of course. But there is a... A little tiny homage to Jessica Trent in Imogen, which is Imogen is in lust with Tommy. Mm-hmm. Like she just wants him. She has wanted him from the beginning. He makes her happy. She likes to look at his thighs. 
And so, like, she doesn't understand. Like, why can't that just be the way that it is? Every morning I wake up and I look at Tommy's thighs. Yeah. She gets her wish. Yeah. Tommy, though. Poor Tommy. <laughs> Poor Tommy. Tommy, if it's a little, if you love a class uh, warfare romance, class, cross class romance, this is it. Tommy just feels like she's like the sun. She's the Mayfair sun. Mm-hmm. And he was a he's a kid from Shoreditch. I know. And when she when he brings her to his like little gaff and he's all embarrassed of it. I know. She doesn't care. To me, there's this I've never written a family a hero with a family, you know. Oh, why is that? And so I don't know. It's weird, right? Yeah, because now I am thinking about it. I've written, f- I've written heroes who have family, but it's right. always like a fraught relationship. Right. I've never written a hero who has like a happy, decent family. Now I'm going through like the Rolodex. Ralston uh, had his brother. Well, yeah, but like he didn't get his mother like hated him, and like That's there, true. you know, there's and he all had sorts his of sister. Right. Tommy's father is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a really lovely family. Yeah. And I, again, was very surprised by that because I don't plot. So um, everything is a surprise to me. <laughs> you not plotting is one of the great mysteries of the world because mm-hmm. you also write in the McLeanverse where everything is connected. Even. Yeah, that's how I get away with it. It's very cheat. It's I cheat. Okay, talk to me about how that's cheating because that seems very hard. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like oh, I need a I need a dressmaker, so just use this one I wrote. I have a dress. Like okay. the, listen, the dressmaker in the McLeanverse is never going to die. No, she's busy. She she's is a vampire. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like also, it feels like yeah. I mean, like I need a casino. I wrote a casino. Mm-hmm. So like that's the casino we go to, which is great for readers because when we go there, you see all the people from that series and people are like, oh, look how clever she put that in there. And I'm like, no, I just needed a casino and now they're there. And so because I've written that casino, I know what's inside that casino and I know mm-hmm. who is inside that and I know they have particular skills. Um. I don't know. So I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know Tommy. Ha- I knew Tommy had a mother, mm-hmm. but I didn't know he had like a sister and a brother who was a vicar and who didn't even make it on page. I had intended for him to make it on page, but yeah. Um, because I've always wanted to write a vicar romance. There's still time. I know you have one more to write. He's single. Like I literally intentionally made him single so that mm-hmm. he could potentially be a hero eventually. But I don't know. Then he didn't make it on page, and he has a niece. Which yeah. is nice. No, I'm... And he's... Yeah, there are lots of... That is one of my favorite scenes in the book. That scene where we meet his family and they tell stories about when Tommy was little. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's it's such a... It's a nice contrast, too, for Imogen. Mm-hmm. You know? Who doesn't have very much family, but has the bells. Yeah, she has the bells. And she has the, community. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, she has a brother who, like, is emotionally constipated. Mm-hmm. And doesn't know how to feel feelings. Yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, the letters from readers about him. I know. Well, you when st- does he get a story? <laughs> I mean, we're still waiting for Callie's brother. Uh, what was his name? Benedict. Benedict. Here's what I haven't learned my lesson because what I should have done is married. Like, 
I should just like if anytime there's a brother, he's married. <laughs> and no ignorant. single brothers. No single no single brothers because unless I'm intending to make them a hero because romance readers myself included are conditioned to seeing people on the page and then going Oh my and god. Next, like yeah. I read have you read Zoraida Cordova's Kiss the Girl yet? Not yet, no. Oh my god, it's so good. It's <laughs> so great. It's one of my favorite books of the year. Um, but the main character is uh it's based on the Little Mermaid, so she's the Little Mermaid, but the uh she's in a rock a band with her it's called the Siren Seven, and it's her six sisters and her. And her sisters are so great. They have like this group text message and it's like the most fun thing to read. And at the end I like instantly texted Zoraida and I was like when do we get the other six books <laughs> and she was like well it's a Disney property so <laughs> you gonna write it so probably never <laughs> um, but no we're conditioned to we see a single character in the text and then we're like that person when is that person getting a book what if Benedict and Imogen's brother oh, no. end up together? <laughs> that solves the brother issue. Benedict is like 50 now, though, so it's like a real yeah. daddy vibe. Cool. I'm into it. Oh, my it. God. That's probably the only way I could see my way to writing Benedict's book is if he was a daddy. Okay. You're saying Listen, like that's not inspired, a thing that Inspired. Inspired today. Just... You heard it here first. No. <laughs> cut that part out because... <laughs> You're going to hear Benedict the Daddy is the new trending. I need everybody to pay attention to this book. <laughs> What's Imogen's brother's name? <laughs> okay, good. I don't feel bad that I don't remember. What is Imogen's brother's name? I don't know. All right, well. <laughs> I have no idea. Charles? Charles. Charles. Okay. Charles and Benedict. Aw. Benedict Charles. Aw. Um... Wait, so we talked about the McLeanaverse, which I'm obsessed with. I guess it's easier. <laughs> Tell your friends in film. Oh, my God. I mean, talk about a license to print money. Would... I mean, Marvel worked. Yeah. And the McLeanaverse? The McLeanaverse has sex. So mm -hmm. it's something that Marvel doesn't Even have. better. <laughs> so I think I had somebody in mind whenever I was reading Tommy, an actor. Oh, yeah. And I just want to confirm if it's the person that you were thinking of. Too. Was it Stuart Martin? Who's Stuart Martin? Okay. I don't know. A lot of people email me about Stuart Martin. Wait, is he the... He's I... the guy from Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Yes, that it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Because he's, well, first of all, because Detective Inspector Scotland Yard, mm -hmm. there are a couple scenes that are in Scotland Yard. He also has a beard. Yeah. Tommy has a beard. Um, yeah, I think that's a good vibe. Okay, good. I mean, I support it if that's what you want. But you weren't, do you think, do you like, I don't your characters? fan cast. No. No, because, well, for a long time it was just everyone was Tom Hardy. Because I just really like Tom Hardy, which doesn't surprise, which surprises literally no one because he's right. just like, he's just like a muscle, a barrel of muscle that grunts. Right. Like, which is basically 90% of my hero, my heroes. <laughs> so, yeah. But like, I appreciate now that like, that's, you know, I know for me, there is people ask all the time, like, oh, if they did make a movie, if there were a McLean of our show or a whatever who would you want and I'm like I don't know like nobody is nobody is these characters mm -hmm. which is why I don't listen to audiobooks even though people love them yeah 
And everybody should buy the audiobooks. Oh, obviously. well, what I will say is I did listen to a couple of a couple of chapters of the Mary Mary Jane Wells is my narrator now for this series. And she's she's Jen had said mm-hmm. Jen, my podcast co-host, who is an audio reader, was like when I got her for the first book, Jen was like, Mary Jane Wells is transformative. It's amazing. And the truth is that audiobooks are incredible. Like people who read an audio are like, yeah, we know Sarah. But right. What's really amazing is they do transform the text to the narrators um, to the point where there is a audiobook award, the Audi, um, and if your book is nominated for an Audi, you are not invited to the Audis. Only the narrators go, um, and I think that that's amazing because mm-hmm. they do really like transform the books. And I read, it, I listened to a couple of chapters. Um, recently of this book and it she does do a great job she's given tommy this like great east end accent you know imogen sounds insane (laughs) like i mean great like but just she just sounds like bright and like kind of flaky but you sort of have a sense that she knows everything and is completely focused on everything that needs to be focused on oh yeah imogen's so perfect because She's also somebody who's like flighty, not paying attention. So people don't. Nobody is paying attention to her. But she's getting everything. Yep. Like she doesn't miss a beat. Mm -hmm. And so, and when she needs to snap into it, she does. Yep. What made you want her to be an explosives expert? Where you're like, the only thing more explosive than Imogen's personality (laughs) is literal explosive dynamite. You know, I said that I don't fan cast, but I did fan cast Imogen from the beginning, and that is like. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Oh. So it's not really a fan cast because Helena Bonham Carter is like a grown ass woman now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that kind of chaos, uh, like that like wild curly hair and the sort of messy eye makeup that she always seems to have, right? Mm-hmm. Like she just, that vibe. Um, I needed, in the first book, I needed somebody who understood explosives. I mm-hmm. needed one of them to be like making bathtub gum powder. And, um, there was really only one answer. <laughs> you know, Adelaide is a thief and becomes invisible mm-hmm. when she, like, nobody notices Adelaide. And Cecily had a whole arc as a character in a prior series. So, like, if, she, if she'd if she been an, an explosives expert, we would have known already. Mm-hmm. And Duchess is too busy Running putting the plan it. together. Yeah. Um. So yeah, of course it was Imogen. Mm-hmm. And then of course, I mean, I had a I had a lot of fun. I had a I had a lot of fun with science in this book, um, because she's the one who knows how everything works. Um. Yeah. So she's like, Imogen's whole thing is, uh, we have. I have we have all spoken we have all said over and over again that the world is unfair to us and no one is listening so it's time for us to just blow it up amazing so basically Imogen is Barbie Heimer <laughs> yes <laughs> if ever there Precisely. was a summer for Imogen's book to come out it yes. was this summer. exactly if only we had known the cover would not would have been like radioactive pink instead of radioactive orange yes but. Amazing. Yeah. Which uh, do you think she would have seen first, Barbie or Oppenheimer? Uh, oh, 
Well, here's the thing. She does not care about men talking. <laughs> that would have been hard for her. She would have been like, get to the explosives. Yeah, get when, to the science. When do things blow up? Yeah. She would have also been blown away by the science. It's about 100 years past her. <laughs> I know. She would have been taking notes. She's like, it's good to know. <laughs> um, can you tell us anything about Duchess? Uh, what can I tell you about Duchess? Well, I, I feel like if I say anything, I'm spoiling this book, though. Okay. Then nothing. I can tell you that uh, if you read Knockout, you will know a little more, a very tiny amount more about what Duchess has in store. Um, but I think I already gave it away a little bit. Like there's um, there's only one if we if if the the battle, the villain in each book has been escalating. We just cleared the deck of Scotland Yard. Mm-hmm. So. There's only one left. There's only one big, there's a big bad villain left. So, I don't know, V for Vendetta style or something. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The last, I mean, read it. Obviously, it's a phenomenal book. I loved it so much. It's the one we've all been waiting for, too. I mean, like, since we first read Heartbreaker, we've been wanting Bombshell. Um, No. Knockout. Knockout. I don't know why these titles are so because hard they for me. all sound the same. <laughs> Bombshells first, then Heartbreaker, then Knockout. Do you have a title for Duchesses? I or you're not allowed to say it yet. Do, but I don't have. I'm not allowed to share it yet. Okay, off mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's this it's this thing that we've been waiting for, but also the way that you're able to like fourth book always for you is such a it always is still such a surprise. Like you always manage to stick the landing in such like a gorgeous oh, way. Thank and you. I that's can't very wait. kind. <laughs> it never feels like that. <laughs> oh, I mean, it feels like that for us out here. Um, so you dedicate this book to somebody very special. Yes. Do you want to say a few words it's about her? It's dedicated to Jen Prokop, who is my podcast co-host. We host podcast, which also comes out on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. every Wednesday. Um, called Fate of Mates, and it's also a romance novel podcast. And um, Jen, from the very first second she read Bombshell, was like, you spelled Imogen's name wrong. It shouldn't be with a G. It should be with a J. (laughs) Um, And she just has had a real affinity for Imogen. And uh, she is actually interviewing me this week on Fate of Mates, so you can head over and hear her talk all the way about all the ways that she loves Imogen, um, and and feels connected to her in many ways. Um, yeah. So I mean, the last couple of years, the podcast and talking to my friends, including you, about romance novels, has really kept me sane, mm-hmm. and I think kept a lot of us sane. Like just. Knowing that there's someone out there who also likes all the stuff that you're into and wants to have joy and talk about joy and talk about books and read great books um, has, like, tethered all of us in this very untethered world. I agree. I do have to say, you know, because there are starting to be more and more romance events happening that we can go to in person, Mm -hmm. including... You and I have an event at Book Club Bar that is sold out. So sorry, guys. Tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. But um, you can still order signed books from Book Club Book Bar. Oh, yeah. And if you do, you get um, Kaboom stickers and other fun stuff. Yeah. So it's, you know, order it and we'll be thinking of you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Aaron will sign them too. Tell them if you order, say you want Aaron to sign it too. Oh, gosh. Okay. And we'll both sign them. (laughs) 
But the thing, and I always drag Pat along to all of them just to probably carry things. I think that's amazing because Eric is not invited to any of my events ever. <laughs> Unless and, he's producing them. He is the producer of my podcast, yes. but that is it. He is not Pat's allowed in my book events. And secondary producer, as we all know from Fade and Maids Oh, Live. I know. Pat's the greatest. He showed up to Fade and Maids Live and really saved the day. Oh, nothing he loves more. He got to be almost on stage, which is where he always wants to be. <laughs> But it's something that Pat always says that I always find so funny. He's like, everybody's so nice. In romance? Yeah. He's like, everybody's just like really nice. And and also- <laughs> It really makes you wonder like, well, who are you hanging out with? Exactly. He's like, they all like do what you tell them to do. And then they're just very nice and happy. And I'm like, yeah, that's romance. Is that not most people? I don't know. I think bo- most big events are not people being like quite so kind. Well, like, listen, you and I were at dinner the other night. We now see each other all the time. I know. We were at dinner the other night. And the hostess, like, we had dinner reservations, mm-hmm. and the table wasn't ready. Like, the people hadn't left the table. And so the hostess was like, you can have a drink at the bar. So we had a drink at the bar, and we were having a lovely time. Yeah. And uh, the hostess came over and was like, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, your table's not ready. The people aren't leaving. And do you, I'm so, so sorry. Like, we'd like to give you your drinks for free. And we were like, great. This is amazing. Thanks this so much. This was also like a fancy steakhouse where the drinks were pricey, guys. Yeah. And so we were like, listen, win-win, right? Yeah. And this, and she was like, I'm so, thank you so much. It could have gone the whole other way with you. And we were like, what on earth kind of people are out there in the world? Yeah. Like, who aren't just like, thanks, that's okay. Like. I don't know. Be nicer to people, everyone. Well, especially people in the service industry. Yes. Because they've been through it, guys. Yeah, and just be nice. I truthfully you did don't not know what people are going late. through. Yeah. And just be cool. Yeah. Instead of being weird, just be cool. Yeah, just be nice. Just be easy. <laughs> Come on. Well, we don't have to tell any of our listeners that because they all are. They all are. They all are. It's like very sweet. But also, and if kind. you're cool, sometimes you get a free fancy drink. I know. Being nice gets you free stuff. So if you don't want to do it to be nice, do it for the stuff. I mean, that's kind of why I do it, honestly. (laughs) I'm so wretched. Um, So we're like kind of coming to the end now. What have you read lately that you're obsessed with or swooning over? I told you about Kiss the Girl, which I really, really loved. Um, I What else have I read? I read Angelina M. Lopez's Full Moon Over Freedom, Mm -hmm. which is the next book in her Freedom Kansas series. And I really loved that, too. There's she's sort of leaning hard into magical realism in this one. She she sort of danced around it in the first one after hours on Milagro Street. And this one, it's like full on magical realism. And I love it. There's a there's a a brujeria uh, and uh, some witches. And it's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Um, What else have I read recently? Oh, I'm reading Amanda Sinelli's right now This on the subway. I was reading this. I was just introduced to Amanda Sinelli, and I'm obsessed. Oh, my God. I'm, have you read Reclaiming His, Returning to Reclaim His Air, I think it's called? Or Returning to Claim His Air? Is that the yacht in Brazil? <gasps> yes. So we did. I did an episode with Andy J. Christopher about what? it. What? You did? Yes. Oh, my God. I have to go back and listen to it. She brought it to me, and, I, and it was my first, like, Harlequin Presents. Oh, my God. Obsessed. And then... Oh, my God. And he's, like, shot in the head and there's amnesia. And, like, it's all, like, if only, like, they have to save, like, Brazil. Rio de Janeiro is relying on yes. er, on this air. But you know what she's doing? <laughs> Getting her degree. She ain't missing a class. <laughs> That's, like, did you ever read Cressley Cole's The Master? No. Oh, my. 
I need to. First of all, there's so many. Listen, there's too many. Holy books. cannoli! One of the biggest searches that we get on that brings people to the Fate of Mates website is chastity belts. It is because of the master. <laughs> Okay. So now anytime there's ever a chastity belt in a romance novel, which is surprisingly often for us for some reason, okay. I mean, not like super often, but like right. more than once, uh, we always say like, all right, everyone who's here for chastity belts. <laughs> and then we make sure we tag the episode chastity belts. So make sure you tag this episode chastity belts okay. and the chastity belt crew will come to you as well. I know they'll be disappointed because we don't really touch on it. But. Well, we yeah, we don't either. We just mention yeah. them in passing. But anyway, yeah, the master... Oh my god, it's so sexy. Listen. Mm-hmm. I actually reread this book last year last month because I was like I just need a great read and I reread The Master. She also doesn't miss a class and it's like a whole thing that she refuses to tell him. That book the setup of that book is great. She is on the run from her like evil terrible husband who attempted to kill her for her money, for mm-hmm. inheritance. So she like is cleaning houses in Miami because she can't like come she can't like be above ground like she has to be underground mm-hmm. um and she cleans house she cleans the house of a an escort a professional escort who like is in a bind and needs somebody like she gets the flu or something and she's like you're beautiful i need you to go and like be an escort for a night with this like russian billionaire listen this hits different before the war in ukraine everyone mm-hmm. but um so she's like, what? And she's like, you'll make $10,000. It'll be amazing. And the heroine's like, I guess, like, I can't turn down ten grand." So she goes thinking, like, "Who? what is she going to walk into? And she, of course, he's, like, the most handsome thing she's ever seen. And he's like, I never double book. Like, I only ever have, like, one escort one time because I'm broken in every way and I can't love. Of course, yeah. And then, like, they do it and they have this, like, crazy night of sex. And then at the end of it, he's, like, obsessed with her. And she's, like, mm I don't think so. Because she doesn't want to tie down either. Mm-hmm. And then he has to, like, find her and obsess over her and protect her. And there's Christmas and a chastity belt. But she doesn't miss her econ final. And that is what is important. <laughs> <laughs> It's so great. As Jen says, romance is unmatched. Yeah, just phenomenal. <laughs> she cares about classes. Yeah. Listen, every person in the world who's like, romance novels, blah, I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea what lives over here. The joy and delight that lives over here on our side. Oh, we're having a blast. And I feel like I'm so over to having to explain to people, like, here's why romance is good. I'm like, read it. I know. It's good. It's fun. It's ridiculous. There's silly ones. There's smart ones. There's sad ones. There's everything. Everything you want. Those are great books. Returning to Claim His Heir is fantastic. I need to go back and read more Amanda Sinelli. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? He, that's bananas. Yeah. It's so much yachting. <laughs> yachting. He's a billionaire from yachts, which I still, the economics, you can't think about it, but it does stress me out. If you haven't read Pregnant in the Italian's Palazzo, that's also another good one. Is that her? Yeah. Okay. There's like, again, a mass, like a crazy one night stand in like chapter one and then oops, she's pregnant. And he's Mm -hmm. like, not oops at all. Now you live in my Italian Palazzo. (laughs) And she's like, but I have shit to do in London. And he's like, not anymore. You don't. And it's so crazy. Yeah, it's great. Romance is a match. The best. 
I love you so much. What? Um, how can people find you? Any last thoughts? Um, how can... Well, we didn't do tropes or anything. Do you still do that? Oh, yeah. But what tropes that are in Knockout? Yeah. All right. What tropes are in Knockout? Thick thighs save lives. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need any other one, guys? Thick thighs, I mean, like... Exasperated man. Yeah. I really should do the... Chaos heroin. I should do the Goodreads lists. Exasperated man should be a Goodreads list. Yeah, great one. It'd be perfect. (laughs) Thick thighs save lives should be a Goodreads list. Girl gangs. Girl gangs. Bodyguard romance, which is my... I need more body, bodyguard romances because mm-hmm. I'm very into those. Um, Rich heroin, poor hero. Yeah, if you liked that uh, that movie with Ellen Barkin and Dennis Quaid back in the day, do you know what movie I'm talking about? No, I have no idea. The Big Easy. I never saw that. Write it down. Write it down. It's set in Louisiana. Well, I had assumed as much. The Big Easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You love New Orleans. Yes. I have been once only for three days. Listen, I do love Dennis it. Quaid playing a cop in New Orleans suffering from police corruption. It's great. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. There's like a Mardi Gras murder. Ellen Barkin throws up. Oh, I don't like I mean, I was like 12 when I read when I watched this movie the first and last time. There's a great line in it, though. There's a woman. I wish I knew her name. She's like a very she's a very recognizable actress. She's not famous, but she's very mm-hmm. recognizable. And uh, Ellen Barkin is jogging, and she like gets picked up, like whatever. She gets picked up and brought to this party that's being held by Dennis Quaid's like Cajun mom, played by this actress. <laughs> and she looks and she's like sweaty and gross because it's New Orleans right. in whatever month. And she was running. And she was running, and the mom is like, "What's wrong with you? Why do you look like this?" And she was like, "I was jogging." And she goes, "Why?" <laughs> Amazing. I know. <laughs> so the trope is the biggies. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, that's a real old movie. That's a yeah. deep cut. Uh, no, I think I really nailed it with exasperated man, thick thighs, save lives, mm-hmm. chaos, mop it. Yeah. Uh, very big purse. Female friendships. Oh, yeah. Listen, women keep a lot of things in their purse, and Imogen has a magic carpet bed. She does. She keeps magic magic tricks in there. She does. Yeah. She has everything you need. Yeah. If you liked uh, Elena Armas's the, Spl- the Spanish Love Deception, mm-hmm. Elena is a chemist, and um, when it came down to like the literal very last day I was writing this book, um, I was like, Oh, no. I had filled, like, in the manuscript, I had been, like, fill Imogen's carpet bag at some point with, like, stuff. And then I was like, oh, no, it's due tomorrow, and I have not filled this carpet bag. And Elena came to the table and helped me uh, fill the carpet bag with nitroglycerin and other explosive materials. So. Oh, good. She's a Jill of all trades as well. (laughs) Um... So people can listen to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Every yes, week. I'm just going on and on. You can listen to Fade of Mates <laughs> at fadeofmates.net every Wednesday mm-hmm. or on your favorite podcasting app. Yes. Um, you can find me at sarahmclean.net. You can find me on Instagram, which is really the, the social media network that I enjoy, uh, at Sarah McLean. And if you subscribe to your newsletter, you get... 
you got a free book. Oh, yeah. Which I read and was also obsessed with. Oh, I'm so glad. And I want your medieval so bad. I feel like everyone I talk to, I'm like, medieval, Viking, anybody? <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you subscribe to my newsletter at SarahMcLean.net, mm-hmm. you'll get um, you can download a free short story, which is actually like medieval, so mm-hmm. not really the the world I write in now, but it has a connection to the McLeanverse. And also, if you like that writing, maybe you will like the writing in Knockout. So it's like a little free taste. Yes, or just buy Knockout, guys, because you're gonna love it. I mean, buy the whole series. What are you doing? <laughs> If you haven't Listen, already, if you like beautiful people blowing things up, yes, that's this series. That is what the series is. That is the overarching dominant theme of this series. And just women you want to be friends up. with. It, there, it's just it's such a great strong yeah. series, and I love it so much. And thank you for writing it, Sisters Before Misters. Yes, it's another good Goodreads list. Thank you for putting it, <laughs> putting my name in it, so that I am inextricably uh, linked. Yeah, to you it can forever. like all your friends have to buy it now. Yeah, thank you to support you. I've already started sending out links. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks Learning so the tropes. I love your podcast. Thank you. And so it's out now, everybody. Knockout and float on over to Faded Mates right now and listen to us to Sarah and Jen talk mm-hmm. about Knockout for another hour yeah and if you want to listen to the first two chapters of knockout they are at the end of fate of mates what this week mm-hmm. that's huge all right so head over there now i'll be listening all right all right everybody happy listening i mean happy reading and listening however, all of you, it. however you consume romance just <laughs> consume it enjoy bye bye, bye.